welcome to Letters to Women, a podcast that explores the feminine genius. I don't have any tattoos, but if I ever get one, I know exactly what it's going to be. The words, be not afraid, written in the handwriting of John Paul II. Those are words so dear to my heart that they're engraved on the inside of both Joseph and I's wedding bands. Fear is something that I battled in my own interior life. In high school, I would be afraid of asking God what he wanted for me and my vocation because I didn't want him to say yes to what I didn't have planned. In college, I worried that I wasn't going to be good enough for anyone, especially God. And for a long time, I wrestled with this question of whether life would be easier if it just went according to my plans. There were times when I wanted to snatch my life back from God's hands and organize it exactly the way that I thought it was best. But at a soul level, I wanted to love God and love his plan for my life. And I knew that I couldn't love God without being confident in him. Fear stopped me from investing in relationships, investing in friendships. But with God, there doesn't have to be a fear of getting hurt or being rejected or being abandoned. We can have confidence in the fact that God loves us perfectly. And we don't have to be afraid. I think that's why John Paul II's Be Not Afraid spoke into the depths of my soul and the depths of my fear. John Paul II began this amazing papacy with that brave cry, Be Not Afraid. And his words encouraged me to let go of the fear that paralyzed me and exchange it for trust in a good father who shows up and keeps his promises. So I began letting go of what made me afraid and asking God for the grace of trust. And that doesn't mean that everything makes sense now and now I'm never afraid. But the phrase, be not afraid, has been with me through so many trials. In today's episode of Letters to Women, I'm talking to Caitlin Claire Mason about how to move from fear to freedom. She's going to be sharing the five key things that have helped her in her own interior life. And we're going to be talking about her amazing ministry, that helps women encountering unexpected situations. I loved our conversation and I cannot wait to share it with you. So welcoming to the podcast, Caitlin Claire Mason. Caitlin lives with her husband and her four kids in North Carolina, and they live at Ark of Divine Mercy Homestead, where they strive to open their hearts and home through hospitality, farming, and loving service. You can find more about Caitlin at CaitlinClaireMason.com. Caitlin, welcome to the show. It's so good to have you here. Thanks for having me, Chloe. So today we're going to be talking about moving from fear to freedom. And I love your story as a Catholic woman, and I think it is such a beautiful witness. So before we talk about how our listeners can move on from fear to freedom, can you share a little bit about your story as a Catholic woman and your own personal journey to overcome anxiety? Sure. So I grew up in the Catholic faith, and that has been a big part of my formation as a person is the the Catholic faith. Um, When I was a baby, I had a seizure in a coma. I was actually at a 20-minute seizure, a 10-hour coma. At one point, they told my parents that there was nothing else that they could do. So they really didn't know if I was going to wake up or not. And they thought that if I did wake up, you know, there could be some pretty severe things wrong. So I had, you know, my couple grandmas in particular really praying for me. Uh, one in particular who had a very strong devotion to Mary and um, who had the bishop praying and all these people praying. And I ended up being fine and I fully recovered. And, you know, growing up, I knew that that was a part of my story, that I was, my life was indebted in some way to these prayers. And that was a really powerful thing. And my parents, they ended up having my brother after that. And then he had kind of a health scare growing up and he ended up being fine as well. And so my parents, they felt so blessed. They ended up adopting two children from foster care who are my uh, third and fourth then siblings. And it ultimately, I mean, my childhood, I, I had childhood asthma. I had a cancer scare. They thought that I might've had cancer. I was, they were monitoring me each month to make sure that, you know, things weren't growing and it was kind of a scary thing. And so there were just all these times that I had to really rely on my faith and learn to trust God. Like those things taught me just in a deeper way of learning to trust God. And I mean, as a, as a Catholic child, like I was, I remember I was teased a lot. I, I remember, you know, like bringing my rosary to recess and it just, 
different times in my childhood when I had this strong fervor and it just didn't connect with everybody in my class or, you know, in outside of the church walls. And so learning that early on in life really helped me become stronger, I think, in my faith and help me learn the value of that gift. You know, growing up, then I, I ended up, it wasn't until I was pregnant with our first child that I ended up, I was studying it was the great adventure timeline Bible series that my church was going through with Deacon Matt. And he was just fantastic and just made the gospel come alive. And I remember he invited us to read the gospel like straight through. And I had never done that before, but I found that it was really powerful. There's something that can happen. Like when we see Christ from infant all the way through resurrection, we see Christ as like a whole person. And that was really powerful. Anxiety has, has definitely, I mean, it's taken on different forms. In my life through the years, I've found that there's kind of like in my life, there's been kind of a pattern, like kind of a dark time and then right for a, a period of light mm. or a period of kind of understanding and coming to peace with things. So like last year, that was a period where I was really struggling through some things. And, and now I just feel like I'm in so much light from it because I committed last year to focusing on my healing journey. Um, I, life had gone so fast from like, there were some things when I was in high school and early college, some things going on with my siblings, like drug addiction and just some really challenging things at home. I got married. I had kids. I like went through college. Like there was busy, busy times in my life. And I started to notice that I was having some anger and just some really unhealthy reactions in my mind about things in my life. And I was able to kind of pinpoint that those things were connected with some healing that really needed to take place from some things several years back. And so I really had to pause a little bit emotionally and just really focus on healing. That's so beautiful because I think sometimes it can be tempting, especially in busy seasons, to bury that anxiety or to bury those wounds that need healing and to avoid them and just keep pushing on and keep staying busy and, and sometimes have that busyness be a distraction from that pain. If someone's listening and they're experiencing some form of anxiety or they're working through something that's causing fear in their life, it's really important to seek help to know that you're not alone. And that help can come in so many different forms. Can you share some of the resources that you used to overcome anxiety in your own life? I know you mentioned family and friends and things like that. Can you speak into that a little bit? Sure. Definitely. There have been times where I went to counselors and sought help there. Um, I also have throughout the years gone to different priests that I've trusted. I think it's really great to find a great priest that you can talk to as kind of like even like a first, a first line of communication there in seeking help because they, they're familiar with, you know, ways to help you. But also it could also be supplemental to your getting counseling support is to really kind of have a priest kind of directing you um, spiritually in the, in the healing journey and in that process, because I mean, there's some very deep things that, that people struggle with and that people are going through and, you know, you don't have to do it alone. So one of the things I love about meeting with a priest is that they can, they can administer the sacrament of confession mm, when yes. you're there. So like when you have that appointment with the priest to talk about what's going on, like sometimes it's really, it can be frightening to have that, like, you know, face to face. Like I'm actually, I have an appointment scheduled this afternoon. I'm going to be sitting down with the priest face to face doing that confession. But you know, it's, it's so helpful because, you know, confession helps you know where the line is between your sin and your regret and the things that you should be sorry for. And then also what's outside of your control. Mm -hmm. And sometimes having that relationship ongoing with a priest can really help you discern where it is that you're being scrupulous or like attacking yourself in your head or listening to those lies of Satan coming right in the back door. And then also it can help you pinpoint where God is just asking you to surrender in something. And that's a really important distinction that we need to make. Definitely things like the rosary, um, the Divine Mercy Chaplet, I think is very powerful as well. Because really, I mean, so much of our anxiety can be linked with past wounds from others. And so in that Divine Mercy Chaplet, it says, have mercy on us and on the whole world. And I just, I want to call to light the word us, because when you're praying, have mercy on us, it's so healing for those relationships that are hurting and causing you fear, anxiety, and pain. Have mercy on me and that person who hurt me and on the person who I hurt. Have mercy on all of us and on the whole world. 
And that's a powerful thing. I love how you talk about the the beauty of the sacrament of confession to see that line between scrupulosity and things you need to work through to heal and things that you can't control. It's so good to have a priest, a counselor, a friend, someone who can look at the situation from the outside. And because it's easy, at least for me, to get wrapped up in in the complexities of a situation and to to look at it and to be able to call out truths and lies that are happening in the narratives that you're presenting to them. Yes. Whether it's like, nope, that's not true. You know that you're you, you know you're not, for instance, like you know you're not stupid. You know you're not ugly. But being able to call out that yes. the lie and then shine the truth on it because your mind is a dangerous place to go into alone. And so to have an outside perspective Absolutely. and in the beauty of confession to have someone in the person of Christ to be able to speak into that. Yes. That's so good. And you can ask them. I think people sometimes don't know. You can ask questions in confession. Yes. Like you can say, I'm struggling with this. Is this really a sin? Where's the line here? And they will help you. And they can tell you, like I had a priest tell me once, like, look, you're going to be, you're going to react to stuff. Like if somebody punches you in the arm, that hurts. You're going to react to that. Like that's a normal thing. That's not a sin. So hearing that voice, you know, that like truth in your life and speaking into your thoughts is so powerful because like you said, yeah, it's so true. You don't have, you don't want to go there alone, but you don't have to go there alone. One of the things that I've personally struggled with a lot is, um, having obsessive compulsive tendencies, like some motor tics and some intrusive thoughts that are very hard to overcome on my own sometimes. So I think opening up to people, like opening up to my husband, I mean, like, look, I am really, this is what's in my head right now. Can you just like speak into this? And he'll just like, can put it in perspective real quick, but sometimes it might be your mom or your friend or somebody else. And that's okay too. But there's a book, it's called Brain Lock and it's written from a very worldly perspective on some of the issues that come up in the book. But as a, as a resource, it's very powerful because it's something called cognitive behavioral therapy Mm -hmm. and it goes through and helps you understand like what you hear is not you. Like when I say here, I mean like your own thoughts, like that's not necessarily you all the time. Like sometimes you're just, you're imagining something or something's in your head that doesn't have to be there. And you can redirect and you can do something positive. And actually, when we identify that point at which we need to redirect and when we do, it actually rewires our brain. So it's this really powerful thing. Yeah. When I saw a therapist after we lost our baby to a miscarriage and so I went to therapy and a lot of the things that I was working through was that, yeah, that believing that my thoughts had to be true. And so we worked through automatic negative thought therapy, which is tied in with cognitive behavioral theory. And it was simply like listing out things that I believed that I had accepted as truth and then doing something physical with them. So I had written them down on a list and I scratched them out. The act of physically taking a pencil and scratching these out. There's some really neat um, resources out there when it comes to healing um, and not having to do it alone. Yeah, this is an old book and there's, I mean, read it with a lens of like, I wouldn't like give it to your child, you know, without like looking at it with them. Like there's some definite good tools in there, but it's definitely very secular and worldly. So, I mean, just keep that in mind that some of the examples that come up are just not going to be pure, but, um, but as a tool, like it, you know, and walking through that with somebody, um, like a priest or, you know, a counselor can be really powerful too. So Caitlin, one of the ways that I came across your journey that you blog about was a resource that you have written on keys for moving past fear and into freedom. And one of the ones that you mentioned, that's one of my favorites is naming fears. And can you talk about why making a list of what makes us feel insecure can help us move from fear to freedom and how that has impacted your journey as well? When we name our fears, it loses, the fear loses its grip on us. And that's a really powerful thing. It's helped me to to also identify that like there are two kinds of fear as I see it. Fear of things that are unknown and then there are fear of things that are known. Sometimes just making that distinction can be really powerful because it's it's natural for us to have a little bit of hesitancy about say maybe something in the future or something that we don't know whether or not it's going to happen or how it'll play out. But then there are things that we know. You know entering into a pregnancy like that there is a, a very you know, 
real possibility that things are not going to pan out the way that you think that they will. Mm -hmm. And that's, I find that with, you know, as you're going into childbirth or surgery or any kind of thing that we, sometimes we know this will be a challenge. This will be something that comes along with some pain. And, you know, like with childbirth, like I, I remember going into the birth of our fourth child and like, I remember, I remembered that childbirth is not the most pleasant experience physically sometimes. (laughs) And so like naming that fear, like I had to recognize, I really had to work through that. And there's a book um, that helped you called made for this. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a Catholic book that came out. Now, if you, I, I've heard you say, Chloe, that, you know, there's two kinds of things about birth stories, right? Like some people are like, yeah, I want to read them all. And some people don't. So I kind of had to not read some of the book, but there are, there are things about working through the fear associated with childbirth in there that were really powerful. But I mean, I think whenever somebody says like, what's wrong? Or if my husband says like, what's wrong? I'm tempted to just say like everything, like Mm -hmm. everything is wrong. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he's like, okay, no, no, like not everything is wrong. You know, we're healthy, like we're safe. Like what is the thing that's bothering you? And I've spent 14 years of my life now with my husband, 10 of them married to him. And, you know, it's kind of trained me to understand that like, okay, if I just identify the couple things that are really hurting me, bothering me, causing me fear and anxiety, then I can work on them and take action on them. And so when we name our fears and we know that something is bothering us, we can take action on that. If we never name it and we fall back into that crutch of like, oh, everything is wrong. The world is falling down. But it's, it's scary to name it because if you name it, then you then it invites you to do something about it. But it is, I believe it is through taking action in those areas that God is inviting us to through that fear. I love that. I think the opposite side is something that I also struggle with, which is when Joseph, my husband, will ask, what's wrong? I can tell something's not right. I'm tempted to say either everything is wrong or no, nothing is wrong. It's okay. I'm fine. We have the scale of how fine things are between my husband and I, where if we say I'm great, I'm good, it means, or I'm great, it means it's great. It's really good. There's nothing that I need to work through right now, but then- if we say, oh, you know, I'm okay. That has been for us this this flag to be like, okay, are you really okay? Or is that something you're right. just saying because you don't? Because it's it takes vulnerability to share the fears that you're working through or the things that are scaring you or the things that you're having trouble even processing yourself and to share those with somebody. And so I think that comes back to, again, having someone that you trust in, in, our, in case their husband or a friend or a priest to be able to to speak into those things, but also to to let you know that they're, they don't think anything less of you because you're going through this. And that's something really beautiful too, to know that the friends that you're vulnerable with and the friends that you trust with your story are not people who are going to leave and say, nope, she is too complicated for me. I'm not going to tread into that kind of water. And so yes. I think that's so important too. God makes all things new. You mentioned this at the the last part of what you were saying about being able to name our fears and seeing him transform things. Can you speak into how he's turned your anxiety and fear into fuel that can power hopes and dreams for the present and for the future. I mean, I think we we need to pay attention to our anxieties and fears. And when we do, we can kind of explore the root cause of them. And it can actually tell us a lot about our hopes and our dreams and our callings. So if I'm fearing losing my health or losing my family, then that's an indication for me that I value my health and I value my family. Mm-hmm. So when we pay attention to that, it can be really it can be really eye-opening for us. I mean, I remember a couple years ago, I found myself fearing that like I was not a good writer or like nobody would read what I was writing. And I, I had these thoughts about that. And so I'm, I'm, an, I'm a writer, an author, writing is a passion of mine. But when I kind of leaned into that fear, I realized that beneath the surface, I was actually being called to share my writing with others mm-hmm. and to give a voice to things and to serve people through that. So I was afraid of sharing that work. I was afraid of stepping out into that journey. But I also realized that that was that fear and anxiety was actually a signal for me that this was 
this was something that was important in my life. This was something that God was placing on my heart, I believe, as as something to focus on. And so when we dial into our fears and we pay attention in that way, we can use it to fuel what by taking action in positive ways towards things that you know, things that we know we're called to, we can go down the path that God's calling us to. I mean, I think of mothers, so many mothers fear that they're not not enough or that they're not a good enough mom to their kids and that it's healthy for you to think about and reflect on whether or not you're a good mother. That actually can be a signal that you are a good mother because you care. We can use that to fuel our mission and our calling in life. Mm -hmm. I remember back when I was single before I met Joseph, I had this fear that this fear that I will never find my vocation. It will always be cloudy. I will make the wrong decision. And just looking back with hindsight being 2020 and seeing at the heart of that, this desire for love, which ultimately had to be fulfilled in God way before Joseph came along. But I love how being able to look into those and they reveal something about ourselves. I, when I was getting ready to give birth to Maeve, yeah, the same fear. I'm going to, I'm going to make so many mistakes and I am, I'm going to make the wrong decisions and and I will because we're human. Right. But I read in a book and I can't remember what book it was, but it talked about, yeah, the same thing where you desire to be a good mother. That desire already points to the fact that you, you want to be a good mom. And and that's a beautiful place to start. And that's a good place to start when it comes to fears and anxieties. It takes, I love how you spoke about this in the divine mercy prayer with St. Faustina says, Jesus, I trust in you. And it, we have to surrender our fears to Christ and place all of our trust in him. And that, that is so much easier said than done. That's so easy to to see on a prayer card and dismiss or to embroider on a pillow and toss the pillow away when we don't want to. But (laughs) can you talk about the importance of what, what role does surrender play in this journey of transforming fear into freedom? And can you give some practical advice on how to trust God, especially when it's challenging or it doesn't come naturally? One way to look at it is that we can either fight against something or surrender to something. And so if we're not surrendering to God, we need to be exploring that question of how am I fighting against his will in my life? Because he asks us to surrender. He asks us to surrender to him. There was a priest who told me once that when God, God, he always wants what's good for us in our lives. So when things go awry or when things seem to see things seem off kilter, you know, God is actually giving us situations where we can be challenged so that we can grow. And he does that because he loves us and he's calling us to something higher every time. So if we can really trust, if we know that God wants what's best for us and we know that that's really at the heart of what he is doing in his work in our lives, then, then wouldn't we trust, can't we trust that each individual moment is laid out like that. I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of the essence of what I believe we're called to. And so as far as practical advice goes on how to trust God with, within our desires, I mean, St. Faustina, there's that, uh, that page of her diary where she just, she crossed a big X over the page and Mm -hmm. she said something like, you know, after today, like my will no longer exists, Lord, only your will. Mm -hmm. And, and that can be a really scary thing because, but, but the reality is everything's already in his hands. We can, we can think we are in control and maybe in some microcosm of our home life or something, you know, yes, I get to control when the laundry goes in. I get to control <laughs> when I drive to here. And, mm-hmm. But in reality, he is really the one in control. So my husband and I, our prayer has become, you know, God, please align my will with your will for my life. Because, you know, you know, you know what I need. I don't know what I need the way that you do. So practical advice, I would say just, you know, try to pray that prayer. Um, I've heard you talk, Chloe, about the surrender novena on this podcast before too. And I think, you know, that's beautiful too. And just if you can pray to ask God to align your will with his, it, it, it puts you in it's like you're on God's team when you're when you're working with him instead of fighting against him. Yeah. One of the prayers that Joseph and I pray is Lord help put the desire of your heart on my heart. And then another prayer that has come up recently that what you were saying reminded me of is, um, 
when it comes to surrendering fears that involve my relationships with other people in my life, a lot of times I have found myself praying, Lord, could you just make them like this? Or Lord, could you just fix the situation so that this is the outcome? And, and through prayer this past, I mean, shoot, it's been over the past yeah. week. It's recent. It's It's been this change in my prayer and this shift from, I need to stop praying for my will to be done and for these people to be made into the image that I want them to be made into and to start instead praying for God's will to be done here and for them to become the person that God desires them to be. And taking myself out of the equation of what that end result looks like, it's freeing because I don't have to fix things anymore. I don't have to come up with the solutions. I don't have to, to make everything look good in the way that I think that it would work out well. And it's also this humility of admitting that I that I don't have it all together and that my solution right. isn't, isn't the best one. And that's so dang hard for me because my yeah. damn pride is the worst. But, and I keep saying that and I, and I keep bringing it to confession and, and hopefully the Lord is whittling it down at me slow, but sure. But it's, it's that surrender, not yeah to the Lord, but out of your own control. And for the type A control freak that I am, that is a challenge, but it's so freeing and the fruit of it is so worth that struggle. Yeah. And I mean, I think like, the ongoing prayers, you know, like praying the, you know, for the sake of self passion, have mercy on us and on the whole world that can really help you turn your heart to trusting God all the time. I mean, practical too would be to have, you know, that image, that divine mercy image, get that for your home, you know, give that to friends and family. And that is such a powerful image. I mean, it was given out, passed around in prayer cards, you know, and given out all through Poland before World War II. And I know, you know, we know that that image brought so much consolation there too. But specifically, too, I think in, when it comes to trust, there's something really special, I think, about journaling through our thoughts on trust and, and things that we, we need to work on surrendering to God. There's a reason, I think, why Jesus communicated through Saint Faust, through, with St. Faustina through uh, her diary. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just a really powerful way for us to, you know, see, see God moving and and to turn our hearts towards him piece by piece word by word and page by page yeah i think when we're working on surrendering fears and and desiring freedom it's easy to get caught in the trenches where every day we take tiny steps that we don't recognize as steps sometimes and to have a journal that maps yes. out where we were i it is so beautiful to sit down with journals that i wrote through in high school and early college and think what, you know, wow, what beauty God has worked in that I can now only see from this perspective. And in the moment, it was, it was just slugging through things and wishing that this season was done and wishing that this, this fear wasn't there. And it was so hard to see God working in that. And now like when you do journal, when you do have a written record of that, that you can look back and reflect on, I think it's so beautiful to be able to to compare yourself to who you were and to then see the fruit that God has brought from that. And it doesn't, yeah, it takes work. It takes yes. time to sit down with the journal. And, and I have 12 different ones started at this point because I keep losing them and misplacing <laughs> them. <laughs> but eventually when I gather all those 12 journals back in five to 10 years, I think it's going to be really neat to be able to see retrospectively yeah. what that's been like. I love that tip. That's really good. We're talking about fighting through fear, working through anxiety, going to freedom, I, we had some friends over for dinner and I loved the conversation that we had over dinner. It was about d- different therapists that we had seen and different tips and tricks that they had, had given us on this path to healing. And I think that in the past, maybe with my parents' generation and older, and, and maybe a little, maybe even some people in my generation, I think still too struggle with this, where there's a stigma around therapy, or if you've gone to the point where you're seeing a counselor, it's gone too far and you should have been able to fix this on your own way before you sought out a counselor or if you're going to therapy don't mention it and I love how in this conversation with my friends it was very much like oh let me recommend this counselor for you and have you tried this therapist and it's just a beautiful conversation that's really raw and vulnerable in a healthy way because it's among trusted friends when people are working through anxiety do you have any tips for how to pinpoint when an issue has gotten to the point where it's like this needs someone to speak into it who has been trained professionally to work through it. And then two, if they're struggling with that stigma around therapy or thinking that that means that they're, they're a failure in their desire to fight against fear or their desire to overcome anxiety, can you speak truth into that as well? You're definitely not a failure. I mean, people, we're all fallen. You know, humanity has fallen. And especially, my goodness, in this world today, there are just so many different areas of uh, aspects of life where things are really challenging in our world today. And so there's just this 
it's, it's natural for us to have some anxiety about you know, the different, the different issues that are going on in our world, in our families, in our homes, you know, Satan is kind of having a field day right now with certain things. And it's only normal for us to have a reaction to that. And, but we can stay grounded and rooted in the joy and the peace of Christ amidst whatever turmoil there is going on in this world. And that is just the beauty of our faith. But it does not mean that we are, you know, personally, you know, at fault or failing in life. If we, you know, if we, if we need some help, God created us to, you know, have each other as helpers and friends on this journey toward heaven. And there's a reason why he placed people in your life. You know, it's kind of like that, that story about the man who like, he keeps going up a level in his house when the floodwaters are rising mm-hmm. and rising and he ends up on the roof And he keeps like a boat comes and he's like, no, thanks. Like God will save me. And then like a helicopter comes and he's like, nope, God, God's going to save me. And then he eventually like goes to heaven and God's like, he's like, well, I God, I thought you were going to save me. And God's like, I sent you a boat. (laughs) I sent you a helicopter like where you were not looking. Mm -hmm. And that's, but that's kind of how we can get sometimes in our in our mental health issues or, you know, illnesses or our anxieties and fears, because we're like, I got, you know, God's got this, like, it's great. Well, yeah, God does have it, but he's also equipping you with tools and people to help. Mm -hmm. So, and then as far as like, you know, when, when is that point for you? I mean, at any point when you feel like you need some companionship or help, I mean, always you can call a friend, you can call a priest, but one little kind of, thing that I've learned is that like, if you're, if you're crying or upset about something and people aren't asking you why mm-hmm. you're crying, mm-hmm. that it there's, there might be one of two reasons here. Like either one, there's a big enough thing going on that they know what the issue is, why you're crying. So like, if you have just lost, you know, if you're grieving, you know, that's something big enough where you, you might not be asked what's wrong. You know, like somebody might know you're upset because somebody just passed away, Mm -hmm. but it also might be because this situation is recurring enough. Um, maybe it's not one big thing, but maybe the tears are recurring enough that nobody has to ask. Nobody's asking you what's wrong. That can be an indication that this is something creeping into your, your health and your well being, And that can be a signal to get help. And then also, I think if you're anytime you're having trouble dealing with unwanted thoughts and you're just, you know, because everybody has unwanted thoughts, everybody has thoughts, intrusive things that come into your mind that you just would rather not think about. And I had a priest tell me once in confession, like, you can just turn the channel, like do your best to just like, you don't have to sit and listen to whatever's in your head. Like you can be like, okay, I'm just going to turn the channel and go to like, something more positive here. Like, let's try that. Mm -hmm. And, but if you're having trouble, you know, seek help and find someone you trust, a priest, a counselor. I I would say personally in my life, I've had some, I've had good counsel and bad counsel. I would say also, you know, with, um, just with counselors, with priests, I mean, you, you just want to make sure that the person who you're going to is someone who's truly in line with the teaching of the church. Mm -hmm. And because not everyone is going to agree on some of the basic things out there right now, but it's, it's always okay to get help. Yeah. So we've talked so far, we've talked about your journey from moving from fear to freedom and how you worked through anxiety, but you also have this beautiful story about how you reach out to other women in particular who are going through situations that may be causing them to be afraid or that they may be anxious about. And you have this beautiful ministry called Mary Garden Showers. Can you talk about how this ministry got started and how it works to help women move from fear to freedom when they realize that they're experiencing a crisis pregnancy that they may not have expected? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, definitely, I think in general, there's a lot of fear associated with motherhood just in general these days, but in particular for women who find themselves pregnant in a crisis situation, it can be really overpowering and certainly can 
have a big impact on their decision to, you know, choose to go forward with their pregnancy and embrace life and have a, have their child to let them know that like, it's okay. Like when I was pregnant for the first time with our daughter, our oldest daughter, I was so scared. And like, I felt called like in adoration, like so clearly, like it is time to, you know, walk into that journey of motherhood. And, and I remember still feeling so afraid, like there's so many unknowns, what's happening with your body, like what is, it's just so much to wrap your head around. So after I was pregnant and kind of went through that journey myself for the first time, my, I found out that my sister was pregnant, my adopted sister, and she, she was actually in a crisis pregnancy situation. And I remember wanting to host a baby shower for her. I had been so blessed to receive four baby showers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was such a blessing. But like, I mean, I remember looking around and being like, okay, first of all, my, my baby does not, we don't need the volume, this volume, mm-hmm. like blessing, but like, how can I give this to others too, you know? And meanwhile, I was working at a crisis pregnancy hotline, like, uh, taking calls overnight. And so I remember like being trained to like answer those calls. And like, I remember just seeing the, the difference there, just that I had so much support and that these women had, some of them had no support whatsoever. You know, they had been, you know, their family is kicking them out or their boyfriend has disappeared or they're older and they're married and they're just terrified and they are determined that they are going to have an abortion. And so I just, I remember seeing like the difference there. And when my sister was pregnant and I I wasn't ultimately able to have a baby shower for her, uh, there was several things going on at that time that just really made that not possible. But I remember saying like, if I can't have a shower for her, I'm going to find a way to have a shower for these other women because there is such a need. And you know, when there's a crisis going on, like, especially when they've lost their job or they've gone through, like they battled drug addiction and they really need support, like walking through a pregnancy now sober and like there's just, there's so many things that I think we, like when we say, like when we talk about pro-life, like sometimes, sometimes we can get on this, like, I don't know, like this train of like, okay, but like have your baby and like do it and you got this, like have an adoption or just, just have an adoption. Like we need to understand and validate that that is a very challenging thing that we're asking this woman to do. And even though it's the right thing to do to walk through your pregnancy and come out the other side and then choose, okay, are we parenting? Are we adopting? Like what are we replacing for adoption? Like what route needs to come there? Like even then we still have to validate back at step one that like, this is this, yes, this will be hard. Like, or, or if someone was raped or like these very challenging pregnancy situations that, that do occur, you know, we need to be able to say like, we're with you. Like, we know this is going to be hard and we are with you every step of the way. So the ministry that I founded is called Mary Garden Showers. And we host baby showers for women in crisis pregnancies um, and families in crisis pregnancies. We host baby showers when women choose parenting and we host blessing showers for women when they place a child for adoption in multiple states is how does that work and yeah. when it comes to the nitty-gritty details of it so we're a national apostolate of the church so we're in several states now and um, we're headquartered here in charlotte north carolina which is uh, where the first kind of flagship Mary Garden Showers got started, and now we're starting to spread to other churches here in the Charlotte area. But for a few years now, we've been in Ohio, uh, Minnesota. Anyway, we it's been a really beautiful journey, kind of to watch God growing this this ministry. And we're essentially like Mary Gardens. They've been planted to honor Mary and her motherhood. And so we kind of see it as that we're planting a new kind of garden for Mary. So we're encouraging new lives to be brought into the world. And that's that's essentially the garden that we're creating with these showers. I love that. If listeners want to find out more about that, where can they find out more? Do people donate to the showers? Do they donate to you guys? How does the shower then come about? So we're at marygardenshowers.org. 
And what we do is we connect with women through referral. Like it could be a priest. It could be like sometimes it's a health organization or a pregnancy resource center. And we, as soon as we connect with a woman, actually, I just connected with a woman. I was walking into church the other day and like, it was just such a Holy Spirit thing. Like I, I saw this woman, I was like, I just felt prompted to talk to her. And like, so we're working through the steps now of getting her connected through a referring agency to kind of come around and, um, get some support. But yeah, I mean, churches like any Catholic church that would like to start hosting showers there, they can, you know, reach out to us at marygardenshowers.org and we'll send you a manual. So that will give you all the information and then we'll just have your priest sign off and you can start having showers right away. Um, and we will kind of like train and walk through the process with you. But essentially what it is, is when we connect with a woman, we sit down and we create like a, a, a baby shower or blessing shower and services to meet her needs. So we always want to be working with like a pregnancy resource center, somebody that can address the crisis situation because a lot of times there's an underlying crisis situation. We're not a crisis uh, response minute like center. That's not what we're equipped to do. We have a very specific role, but that's not it. So we always make sure that their full needs are being met, but then we sit down and we connect them with a loving sponsor group who can walk with them on that journey and who can uh, provide that companionship for them. And then that sponsor group will take the mother out for a registry outing. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times they'll sit down like at a coffee shop and pull up amazon.com and create a baby registry or head out to the store and like the mother can handpick the items that she would like. And then we share all of those registries uh, for each baby shower. They're shared on our website and on our newsletter. And that goes out nationally and internationally. And people can shop for these mothers from absolutely anywhere. And the gifts are set up to automatically ship to the baby shower location. So people send notes or prayers or cards. Um, all of the chapter location web uh, addresses are located on our website as well. And then that that love and support just pours in from all over. That's so neat to have people who who don't know the mother personally, but who have this heart to help and come alongside women who are who are going through this and who can reach out and then give something not only practical but something that is needed and the mother has identified as something that she needs and something that she that would be helpful yeah. to her to yeah to to know the specific way that she desires to be loved and then to answer that call. That's so incredible. Yeah, and so sometimes you know it looks like. Uh, providing meals after she's born, you know, you take them a meal.com and set up a meal train for her with the, the community or sometimes actually oftentimes we've encountered a situation where with her to the hospital. So sometimes it's that companionship of just being present or, you know, around when that baby is born, um, visiting in the hospital, or sometimes if a baby comes early, <laughs> we're like, hightailing it over to the hospital to bring the car seat and like the sleepers. And it's, it's a, such an adventure. It's so, so fun. I love it. I love how beautifully pro-life this is. Sometimes people who are pro-life are accused of really only caring about whether a baby is born or not. And you spoke into this when you were talking about crisis pregnancies, and this is just speaking truth into, into people's desire to come alongside the whole way, the whole journey and providing them a vehicle to do that. So having something specifically that they can do to help is just, oh, that's incredible. I love the work you do. I love, I love finding out about Thanks. it. And yeah. It's just it really, I think it's a really needed ministry. And I think you guys are filling a gap that is just so, so needed and so beautiful. Thanks. Well, and it's, you know, it's something really tangible when that woman can see the visibly see the body of Christ coming together at that celebration to celebrate her motherhood, to celebrate her child. It's so powerful and it's so needed. And it's, you know, it's one thing it's, it's wonderful also when we connect with women by, you know, maybe a donation drive or baby shower bottle blessings where we like drop coins in the bottles. And those things are great and they're very helpful, but there's, a difference between dropping off donations to the back door of the P of the pregnancy resource center. And then also like wrapping them by hand and like putting them in beautiful tissue paper and like giving that to a mother directly, like literally looking at her in the eye and saying like, this is for you because 
I love you because the church loves you and Christ loves you. And like, we're here for you. And it's not just an organization out there that says like, you know, it's, it's, it's pregnancy resource centers are amazing. They do amazing work, but the church has to do those very same things in a very tangible way for the women to understand, like, this is Christ serving me. And it's just so, so great. I love it. So we've been talking about how your ministry really comes alongside people who are processing through fear or working through anxiety or going through these crisis situations. If someone clicked to listen to this episode, not because they're working through anxiety, but because someone that they know and someone that they love is experiencing anxiety and they want to figure out ways that they can support them and how to be a good friend to them. What are some ways that they can come alongside those that they love and help them through those situations? That's a really important question. I think definitely listening. Um, Listening is very key. Sometimes people may be looking for assistance in solving the problems, but sometimes they really may just need someone to listen. So I think it can be valuable in a conversation like between husband and wife or a friend, a friend, or whatever that relationship is there, it can be helpful kind of as you get started with a conversation that's delving into the depths of someone's anxiety or fear or mental illness to kind of say like, okay, just, can you just kind of let me know where you are right now in terms of like, do you want me to give you some feedback and, and help you through with some like ideas about how we can move forward with this? Or do you just need space to talk right now? And that can be really helpful. And also I think it, we can kind of get in our own heads when we're, or as someone who has, you know, those struggles I've struggled a lot with these anxiety and, you know, mental, uh, difficulties in my life, I know that I can get really self-absorbed when I'm anxious or going through a period of darkness in my journey. And so it's really important. I think as the partner or friend to not enable that self, I want to say sometimes it may be self-pitying or self-absorbed behaviors and really encourage the person, your loved one to reach out, connect with other people, be out in public, you know, be out in the world. Also with your community, have people over to dinner. Um, fear, I say that, you know, fear hates friendship. Mm. So bringing that fear into the light of holy friendships, it dispels that darkness and Satan has to run and hide because he can't handle the light of Christ. So, keeping that in mind, a lot of times people are going to need help breaking out of their negative self-talk, asking someone, it could be helpful to ask someone like, what's, what's actually going through your mind? Like when you, when you just were upset there, like, or I saw you with so-and-so and or I saw, you know, I know you're thinking back to this conversation or something that hurts you about this, your day, you know, something bad that happened in your day can you just take me back to that moment with you? Like this would be the loved one speaking to that person. Like, could you just take me back to that moment with you when you were struggling today and tell me like, what was going through your mind? Like, what were you thinking about? Were you feeling confident in yourself or were you feeling insecure about something and just kind of speak into that? Mm-hmm. Those are so practical and good. And it, it encourages meaningful conversation and, and let someone know that you're there. And I, I love asking permission to speak into something or asking someone what they need and not assuming and and not kind of crashing into the conversation with, again, this desire to fix or this desire to heal yourself. Um, But instead just putting that ball back in their court and asking them what would be helpful for you and giving them the space to express that is so needed in conversation with people who are experiencing fear or experiencing anxiety. Yeah. And certainly praying, you know, praying with them and praying for them, um, you know, praying where audibly, you know, so that they can hear your prayers for them. That's so powerful too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So often in in these conversations, it's easy to just have a generic, like I'll pray for you response, which is good. And prayer is beautiful, but just stopping and saying, can I pray for you right now? And it doesn't have to be the super elaborate, spontaneous prayer. If if the only thing that comes to mind is a Hail Mary, just saying, like putting your hand on their shoulder and praying for them there, mostly for me, because I forget to pray for people who I, who I have said that I will pray for. And just in that moment, asking the Holy Spirit to come into it because there's grace in the present moment and there's grace there and being able to tap into that. 
Um, and I think you're, you're so right for them to be able to, to hear you praying for them there and to know that you mean it when you say that you're going to pray for them is so important too. If you're in a text conversation or an email conversation, you know, typing out a prayer back is appropriate too. That's, that's really a beautiful thing to do as well to say, you know, make, you know, God, you know, we ask that you please, you know, help with this or heal with this or, you know, whatever it is. And that's, that's a beautiful thing for someone to read. I I know that I've a, a wonderful thing we can do for people. I love it. Caitlin, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your mission with the Mary Garden Showers, but also your own journey as you have, have gone through this experience of anxiety. One question that I ask all the women who come onto the show is about the feminine genius. So Caitlin, how do you live out the feminine genius as a woman who's striving for freedom from fear? There is definitely so much fear and so much attacking the family in our world today, attacking motherhood. I believe that Satan is waging war on the family right now. And he's attacking women and mothers in a particular way because Satan cannot create life. He can only manipulate life. So he can't do what women can do. We can bring new life into the world. And I've heard it said that there are two ways that new life can enter the world through mothers bearing children and through priests when they consecrate the Eucharist. So Christ is present in that child and Christ is present in the Eucharist and he's always a part of new life. I think all women were called to bring new life into the world in some capacity. And that's a big part of our feminine genius. It's it's not always directly by conceiving and bearing children, but that's one thing I know that's been asked of me. I'm a mother and that, that challenges me to live out the feminine genius daily, but specifically like as a woman striving for freedom from fear, I believe that my role in living out the feminine genius is to step in and walk alongside those women as they're fearing their motherhood, as they're fearing trusting in God and really with families and just people in general, as they're fearing trusting in God, you know, St. Faustina, she said, I'll, I'll part back the veils of heaven for you. Oh, doubting souls and show you, you know, the mercy of Christ. And I just, I believe that that parting of the veil, that's such a feminine attribute. Like it's such a beautiful image of our femininity. You know, that moment when like in a marriage, when, you know, like the veil is lifted and like you are presenting yourself to your spouse. Like that is how we can approach every day in our lives as women. And that's one thing that I'm going to be striving in my days is just to present myself to Christ. Say, here I am. I'm yours to use for your kingdom, however it is that you would like. And that's how I try to live out the feminine genius every day. I love it. I love how you spoke into the surrender aspect of even surrendering our very selves to the Lord and how there's, as women, we do that in a very feminine way. And that's just, that's beautiful. Caitlin, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. And thanks for your patience with the technical difficulties on the way into this. And I think the Holy Spirit is going to speak through this in a lot of women's lives. So thanks for your vulnerability and for for sharing. Thank you, Chloe. It's been really great to be here. And so I've loved your podcast and it's just a, a joy to be a part of it. So thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to the show. Head over to my blog, oldfashionedgirlblog.com to check out the show notes for this week's episode. If you aren't subscribed already to Letters to Women on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, make sure you hit subscribe today. You are not going to want to miss out on the next Letters to Women episode where I talk to Jack Anderson about her work with Emmaus Ministries. It's a nonprofit that serves men in survival prostitution on the streets of Chicago. That is all I have for today's episode, but until next time we visit... Be not afraid. And you never know, maybe you'll get that tattoo one day.